All right, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Tech Talks, where we are continually exploring the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff and getting your questions answered. This is the second to last episode before the end of 2021. Now, granted, it's not the second to last week before the end of 2021, but I'm, I'm taking a little break from episodes here at the end of the year. So, Nellie, I'm joined by Nellie Wartoft, and... Nelly, you get to join me for like my almost year-end episode. This is an exciting. This is an exciting event. I'm. I can't believe 2021 is almost over. But anyway, Nelly is joining me from a company called Tiger Hall, and we're going to talk a lot about social learning. I, you're going to be a better one to describe it because really, it's this curation of knowledge and and internal expertise and how do you actually bring that to life so I don't want to spoil it in terms of that but we're gonna have a really fun conversation with this and we're gonna get started like we always do having some fun along the way we've got to get to know who is Nelly because this is such an important piece you're a guest on the show we want to get to know you a little bit better so let's start with a I'm gonna start with a slow pitch this one's gonna be an easy one and I would invite anybody who's watching You've got to play along. I, you know what? Yesterday I did an event, an online event, and it was so interactive. It's so many questions and comments flying all over. So by all means, participate if you can. But this question is directed at you and everybody watching. Nelly, where are you in the world today? I'm right now in Miami Beach, as you can see from like I see the sun playing through here. I know it's, it's like sunny. sunny. It looks it looks beautiful <laughs> even from indoors. Exactly, like all the sunshine, the palm trees, and I was coming from Sweden last week, so entering into this, we're just discussing the Celsius and the Fahrenheit, and the 27 degrees Celsius is very, very pleasant weather, so I'm, I'm right now in Miami Beach, heading to Orlando tomorrow. Okay, so I have to ask, if you were packing, you know, you're making all these trips, do you have a bunch of winter gear in your stuff that you had to pack too, or did you, did you drop that off and you only brought your, your summer stuff to Miami? So that was actually the most difficult about this trip because I'm going to be in the U.S. for three months. So I'm doing one month Florida, one month New York, North Chicago, oh. one month California. So I'm kind of going to cover all the different weather. Oh, so wow. The thing is, okay. I was coming from Singapore, where, which is where um, I live. Then I had all my Singapore clothes. And arriving in Sweden, 80% of that I couldn't use. So I, was, I had to like buy new clothes in Sweden because I didn't have anything warm. And then I had 80% of my bag that I haven't used for the past three months in Sweden. Now arriving in Miami, I can suddenly use all of that, but then I'm gonna need my cold clothes in, in New York and Chicago. So it's gonna be, uh, it's a very okay. big bag. Let's just put it that way. So I, well, I was gonna say, did you have to buy luggage as part of this trip as you were going where you went, ah, it's not all gonna fit. But yeah, yeah that's, you're really hitting up. Well, you're hitting all sorts of climates, Sweden, Miami, New York, Chicago, California. That's that's a pretty diverse weather strip that you're going through. All right. All right. But you're in Miami right now, which we'll talk a little bit more about what you've got going in Miami because you've got some stuff coming up here while you're in the area. But then the second one. And again, if you're watching, come on, let's see where you're at. But Nelly, I got to hear from you. We're coming into the holidays, right? We're coming into the final holiday season, end of the year. We got New Year's. We got all this other stuff. Just what do you do for, do you have any pre-holiday events and activities that you do? Obviously it sounds like you're gonna be very busy traveling, but do you typically have things that you do or what's your plan this year? 
So this year is I'm heading to Orlando tomorrow for the uh, CLO exchange. So if anyone okay. is listening is joining the CLO exchange on Sunday to Tuesday, feel free to find me there as well. So it's a conference starting on Sunday. And I was like, you do conferences on Sundays. So, but it starts Sunday 9 a.m. <laughs> the CLO just, exchange does, it like starts on Sunday and then it goes for a bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. my pre-holiday activity. And then I'm probably gonna head from there to Universal Studios and then into my holidays for two weeks. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? That sounds like a pretty high note to end on. The CLO Exchange, I've been to a couple there. It's a great event. Uh, so again, yeah, if you're there, you'll bump into you'll bump into a bunch of people who are probably listening to this. And then Universal Studios, that sounds like my kind of that sounds like my kind of end to the end to the year, but unfortunately not not my plans. <laughs> the first yeah, event I in don't. like two years. I haven't been to a live event in like two years because of COVID. So, so the, so the Orlando event. events like your first live event in a couple it of years. It's my first live event since okay. 20, early 2020. My first conference okay. since the pandemic. So I'm very excited about that as well. Getting out and actually seeing real human beings. <laughs> hey, I'm a real human being, by the way, Nelly. I take I take offense I'm to that. Adult. No, <laughs> I yeah right. Actually, I'm just a an AR avatar that sits in a chair. I'm not even yeah. here really. <laughs> all right, so first one. Okay, all right. Well, Orlando's a good place to be for an event. I know that there's a lot of folks. Most events are just kind of starting to potentially go back live, and now with. With Omicron, it'll be interesting to see <laughs> uh, what happens with, I know, fingers crossed. Well, in terms of mine, I'll, I'll answer this one. We're, I've got six kids, so we don't, our our pre-holiday events are getting ready for the holidays. The kids are, are bonkers. I think the most exciting thing is Sparkling Ice comes out with their holiday package. So my, my beverage choice changes around the holiday. I'm a very boring person. There's not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, nothing. I'm not going to Universal Studios or Orlando. Nothing cool like you are, Nelly. So, all right. Well, so let's transition over to the topic at hand. Uh, but before we do, just a little bit about you, because if folks aren't familiar with Tiger Hall, in fact, even I, we've known each other for what probably a few years now, Nelly. You and I have, have oh. known each other for a few years, and even today, as we were chatting before going live. There were some insights that I gleaned about Tiger Hall that I didn't have before. But so tell me a little bit about this because Tiger Hall is it's described as a social learning platform, but what's your background and how did you end up getting into, hey, I'm gonna create a social learning platform? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I grew up in a very small village in southern Sweden um, and uh, was very obsessed with Asia from a young age. So when I was 18 okay. years old on my 18th birthday, I booked a one-way flight to Singapore and had an ice hockey trunk, packed everything I had in this ice hockey <laughs> trunk and went across and never returned. And that's always been one of my passion areas is Asia, but the second one has been education. And okay. I was one of those tricky students in school that was like, why are we learning the Pythagoras theorem? Why are we spending time memorizing the periodical table? Like this makes no sense. And I was always questioning the curriculum. So I started okay. my first alternative education or ed tech business when I was 15. And that was a, it was a school for senior citizens to learn digital literacy. So things like social okay. media, how to operate a smartphone and all of these things that you need to know in real life. Yeah, yeah, kind of practical, thing. practical, technical skills. Exactly. Like how do you do what you need to do yeah. today? Because they couldn't connect with their grandchildren. They couldn't connect no. with their grandchildren because they didn't know how to use these platforms. So I've always had this thing for like, we need to learn what we actually use and we shouldn't spend time 
learning things that we can't apply, like application is so core in learning. And that stayed with me, with me when, when I did university in uh, Singapore. And it was a terrible experience. It was the worst thing I've done in my life at university. <laughs> and that's when I was like, in, in the work I'm doing today, most of the people I meet interact with like investors and clients, like they've been to the Ivy Leagues and so on. And they're like, oh, like my university experience was great. And then I go like, oh, did you go to Harvard, Stanford? Like, yeah, it was one of those. I'm like, yeah, so then you're a 0.0001% of the population. Right, that is like a fraction of the population's exactly. experience. Exactly, okay. and I'm like, yeah, I don't doubt that a Stanford experience is great. Like that's probably a lot of fun and you've got great people coming in and doing classes, etc. But most people are like me. Most people are just going to a very average university that they pay a whole bunch of money for and they end up being in debt for the rest of their lives and they learn nothing. And that yeah. was the experience I had, which made me even more frustrated with the system. And then after that, I went out to work in recruitment. So I was uh, with Michael Page, the British recruitment firm, and I was leading okay. their sales and marketing practice for uh, Southeast Asia. And then again, I was meeting all of these people that came out with GPA 4.0, Dean's List, first class honors, <laughs> like you can name it, right? Yeah, you're dealing with the you're dealing with the percentage of the population that's it's the minority. Exactly, and everything was like tick tick tick. And then in Paris, we're like. Can this person run an Instagram campaign? Can they launch a YouTube channel? Can they go into like launching Philippines for us? And like those kind of skills, no one had. So all the skills that employer asked for, everything that was around, and also things like learning agility, growth mindset, innovation, change management, like all of these like seemingly buzzwords right. that we use so much. But if you think about them, those are skills that are actually required on a day-to-day -day basis. And if we yeah. take it just one step lower, right? You have things like how do you host a meeting? Like so many people can't even host a bloody meeting. Like it's no. a mess when you get it. Like no. How do you give? Up. How do you give a presentation? I mean, there's a exactly. lot of these just fundamental skills. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And then what they notice, I was dealing with mid-level management, and when you're fresh out of school, you can kind of a little bit be like you can afford to be the stupid fresh grad that asks all the stupid questions, <laughs> and you always have someone to help you, right? But when you step into a management role, people suddenly go like. How do I manage upwards? How do I manage the expectations of, of management? How do I coach my team? How do I now launch this new market? And there's so many new things that are coming to them that they never thought of before. And they kept yeah. asking me all of these questions. And I was like, God, I'm just a lowly recruiter. Like, I don't know the answers to these questions. But I know people who do, and those were my clients. So when I was okay. meeting my clients who were like the MD of Google, the CMO of Grab, which is the Uber of Southeast Asia, like all of these senior business leaders, I realized that I learned a lot more from them in just having a coffee sure. with them for an hour, learning about how yeah. to do business leadership, etc. than I did in my entire university education. So okay. that's when I was like, why isn't learning like this? <laughs> why can't we learn from senior business leaders and people actually have been through what we are going through? Who paved and the road. They've paved the road. They've been there. They've gone through the school of hard knocks. Okay. Exactly. And they've learned it the hard way, right? And so many things are like, we don't learn it in university at all. Like in no. fact, like what we no. learn in university is about one or 2% at max that we end up applying. And that takes into account even degrees like medicine, law, like very, very theoretical. Yeah, degrees. very, very technical degrees. Like one to 2%. So, um, so that's when I started thinking, can we scale this experience? Because yes, you can learn from senior business leaders, but then you have to be in some kind of community that offers one-to-one -one mentorship if you're lucky, or you pay a shit ton of money for it. So I'm like, yeah, because access access to it is often very restrictive, which again, yes. <clears throat> that that minority percentage of folks are typically the ones that then end up having access, which creates greater disparity in the system. 
Exactly. And it's just like a slowly downhill curve, right? Like it's just a vicious cycle, the whole thing. So you get like very limited access and you need to be a very like leading person to get that get that kind of mentoring opportunities. And it's also not scalable for either part. Like the mentor spending an hour of their time speaking to someone. <laughs> Individually with like 180 exactly. people. They don't have time. There's not enough hours in the day. Exactly. So there is not enough time at all. And then when you think of the questions that people ask in mentoring sessions and the answers that mentors give, it's 80-85% the same. Because we all have the same problems, the same challenges, and mentors tend to give the same answers that they give to everyone else. So I'm like, why can't we just take what's in their minds, this advice that they've garnered over the years, put that into digital products that people can consume on the go. So you have 24-7 access to all these senior business leaders and learning from okay. them on the go. So that's how I started okay. thinking about scaling it, and that's what eventually became Tiger Hall. Okay, all right. You know, I see these are these conversations are the best because I feel like I just connect with people on an even deeper level than I did before because your experience with education was very similar to mine in terms of I was very frustrated by it. I felt very like, I mean, this is fine, but this isn't necessarily helping me. I was the student that the teachers always were frustrated with because I'd ask the questions like, why are we doing this? Can you at least give me some sort of real life example for yeah. why? And they just look at you like, can you just be quiet? Because we have to yeah. get to page 73 right now. And you're, yeah. you're you know, you just like, take the exam, answer the multiple quiz questions, and then we'll tell you that you know this stuff, even though you don't. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is even learning tech talks, I originally started it because so many people were asking me questions about what's going on in the industry, what's going on with the tech type. And I can't scale one-on-one -on -one conversations with people all the time. So I decided to say, well, you know what? I'm just going to scale this out and broadcast it to the masses so that others can benefit from it. So the concept is, I mean, I'm, I'm very much aligned to what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. And that's why when we connected and, and the insight that I had, for those who may have heard of Nellie and Tiger Hall, we originally got connected because you had invited me to speak at some of the events that you had going on. And so I had put it in my head that Tiger Hall was an event company that was moving into tech. And then as we got to know each other more and I learned more about Tiger Hall, that actually was not the case. This really, this original vision of how do we take the, the expertise and practical real world skills of the leading successful people and democratize that to the masses through tech that was really always the original vision and you've been doing that yeah. for a while so for even for me it was a oh and and when we met i said this is a fantastic concept it's something i'm not seeing really very much of in the space at all i think there's a lot of you know curation of content all this stuff but this blend of of expertise within your org and, and in the industry and and broadcasting it around um was not there so Let's talk about it a little bit because Tiger Hall is, it's a pretty dynamic, what's the journey that it was on? Because you you shared with me, it originally started as a podcasting platform, right? Wasn't that kind of the yeah. first gen? It was, it was. So it started with like, okay, how can we take like these one hour, like, quote unquote, like waste of time and just like scale it so that someone can share it and be a member to like thousands of <laughs> How do we take this waste of time and spread it, <laughs> spread it all over the place? <laughs> Exactly. And it was very much with that that we approached the business leaders and they're like, hey, like now you might be able to mentor 10 people, 
with Tiger okay. Wall, you can man you can mentor ten thousand people at scale. Okay, and that's what very much spoke to them as well. Like they could have a bigger impact through the platform than they can through one to one mentoring. So so we started with podcast. And I think the reason for that was that one, I'm a big podcast fan. I love podcasts. I listen to them all yeah. the time. Second, it's a very good format to fit into your daily life. So we focus a lot on these, what we call micro moments in your week. So when you're picking up the kids from school or having a shower in the morning, cooking in the evening, going to the gym, taking up the dog for a walk, that's when you learn. Because learning has traditionally been, you take a lot of time. Like you ask people to spend like, oh, this is a 27 hour video course. And people go, I know. Like, so take, <laughs> go ahead on top of your very busy schedule, try and exactly. fit this in on top of it, please. Exactly. And then like people, that's the reason for people hating L&D departments, right? They go like, why are you asking <laughs> me to waste the time? 27 hours of my life, I will never get back for rubbish that is usually done by a coach or trainer that has no idea what they're talking about. And then if it's not 27 hours of video, it's like, oh, let's do a two, three day workshop. And then the business leaders go crazy. Like you're taking my people out of the business. It's end of the quarter, they need to sell. Like, so that's the conflict between business and L&D, right? So we were thinking, how can we use the time that people already have and fit learning okay. into those moments? So it doesn't okay. take any time to, to be on Tiger Wall. It rather adds value to those micro moments. And that's the reason we started with podcasts as well. So you can always do something while you're listening. And the number one use case is in the gym, like when you're exercising. The second yep. is in the shower in the morning. So a lot of people bring Tiger Wall into the shower. <laughs> and okay. I'm always surprised with that. Every so time I can't relate to that one. I can't relate to that one. But I will say in the gym, when I go downstairs here at my house to work out, that's, that's what I'm doing. Like I listen to podcasts yeah. when I'm working out because it's, it's time when I'm doing something else. But my head space is kind of open so I can focus exactly. on just consuming and kind of listening, reflecting along the way. Yeah. And in Asia, especially, we work a lot across Asia Pacific, Europe, and now the US too. And in APAC, you have a lot of countries like India, Indonesia, Philippines, where you're literally stuck in traffic for one and a half to two hours, one direction. Yeah. So that's another big use case, especially in Asia, where you have, you're stuck in traffic and you tap in. So that's why podcasts to start with. And after that, we've added on power reads, um, videos. And I think there is a slide on like with the different formats that we have now that we can maybe bring up. Um, so you have uh, audio yeah. that you can listen to. Um, you have power reads that you can swipe through on your mobile phone. So seven, there we go. Yeah. And the video. Okay, so it started, it started with the podcast and then it's added these other elements to it. Exactly. Exactly. And okay, so like, what's a power read? What's a power read? You got to define. I think most exactly. people are familiar with the <laughs> podcast piece, right? Listen to audio only, just kind of listening to stuff. What's a power read? A power read is a very powerful way to read and absorb knowledge. So think of it as like equivalent to like a long form article, like three to five to six minutes to complete. Um, podcasts okay. are like 10, 15 minutes. So everything is very bite-sized. That's another thing that we've intentionally made. And this is through a lot of trial and error and data, et cetera. Sorry, the first podcast that we did was actually 90 minutes long. And then we realized okay. this doesn't cut it. So then we've come to the very engaging format that we have today. But podcasts, okay. 50 minutes, power reads, five, six minutes, videos, two to three minutes. So this is, for example, Andrea Bart, who's the head of sales enablement at LinkedIn, and she's sharing three tips for nailing sales on LinkedIn, for example. Okay, so just micro, so, so videos aren't these hour long, it's it's literally like, hey, here's a micro knowledge nugget that you might exactly. you might find valuable. If you know these okay. like the, the TikTok trend, there's like do 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 like those where you're looking Well TikTok the max <laughs> length of a video is three minutes, 
for TikTok, that is the max length, is three minutes. Exactly, exactly. So it's a very similar concept. Like it's quick, it's short and sweet, and it, it works like stories. So like you can flip through many at a okay. time and just swipe right. And, uh, okay. and it's all produced by these business leaders. So that's another question that I get a lot. Like, oh, where do you get the content from? Like after I've spoken about what we call the thinkfluencers, which are these senior leaders. Oh, we're gonna do, don't spoil everything now. We're gonna get into it. Cause see, that's where I'm going after this. I just wanna define the categories of these things so people kind of understand what is it. So don't, 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 don't do the whole thing yet. Cause I'm really <laughs> curious actually. Okay, so that's videos, live streams now that's, that's a trend that is starting to pick up in, in different areas. I feel like it's a little bit slower, but I feel like live streams are kind of like podcasts five, seven years ago, maybe, maybe not even quite, where they were a little bit of a new concept and now they're starting to gain some traction. So, so is, that, is that live stream like conversations between people? Is it just like going live like you would on TikTok? How, how does that work? Yeah, live streams are massively popular. And a live stream means that it's one or two leaders going live and they're usually okay. live for like 20, 25 minutes. So it's really a chance for people to ask any question that they have about a topic. Interact. Exactly. So okay. if you would go live on like learning tech, for example, then you have the chat, people would ask questions and it's very, it's of course, mobile, very mobile first, so easy for people okay. to join in. And we also have enterprises using this internally for knowledge sharing. So you can have like your CEO going live with your chief product officer, share about the latest product development. Okay. So even from a change management standpoint, you've probably heard this new announcement. Hey, now the, the two senior leaders who are involved in this are gonna jump on and talk a little bit more about what this means. Exactly. And it becomes a lot okay. more interactive than like hosting a Zoom call or a Teams call because people are so tired of those. And then when you have like a <laughs> video and like just boring, it's an email with a link, you have to log in on your laptop. Like, this you can just it's a push notification you press one and then you're in and it's very okay. casual and much easier format than joining like an all hands on microsoft teams yeah okay and then group mentoring is the final one which how's that one work so group mentoring is so we're mentoring both one-to-one -one. so you can book the one-to-one -one mentoring on the platform as well but most common is group okay. mentoring so these are groups of five to ten people that join a leader on a series we usually do these in three six or twelve months where you work together with this group on a particular challenge and they're usually matched based on similar aspirations or similar needs so you might have a group okay. of first-time managers who are struggling with giving feedback for example and then you would have a group mentoring series around there so that's the live streams and the mentoring is more or those are the interactive elements where it's more like okay. people asking questions. So videos, power reads, podcasts, these are more your content consumption. You know, you, you kind of consume it on demand. Then the live streams group mentoring is, hey, there's an element of these leaders that people want interactivity. They want to be able to ask questions or get feedback or things along the way. Then that's the second half. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We got it. Okay. Okay, so then let me, so I wanna dig into this then because in the post leading up to this, we talked about thinkfluencers. We, it's a term that, that you had, um, that, that you used with this. And so I wanna make sure we define what that is because going back to this, okay, this is great conceptually, right? There's, and again, the conference I did yesterday was on micro learning, which, which to me isn't a content type. It's a way of thinking about content, it's about yeah. This whole, like, well, how do you just make things digestible, consumable? Go ahead. Exactly. And it's not, if I may add, because many people have this misconception, like they take 27 hours of videos and they cut it down into two, three minute videos <laughs> times 200. All right. No, no, no. I know. No, 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 no. I. 
No, they take the same thing. I know. Well, Carl Carl Cap and Robin, her last name slipping my mind, was at the conference talking about that, that the fact that the point of micro learning is not to chop up macro learning into a thousand pieces and then just distribute it out. It's to actually yeah. say, what is the most important thing? And let's just capture that. Like, let's just capture that in a digestible piece and let's just put it out there instead of just going, here's object 32 in 387 <laughs> that you have to complete. And people go, well, this isn't helpful to me. Okay. Yeah. So I love yeah. So like introduction, chapter one, introduction to chapter one. And then like video, like number six is when you actually get into the content. I'm like, this is not right. Helpful. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have the meeting to the meeting, to the meeting, to the meeting. And then we're actually going to have the meeting where we're going to have 30 minutes of fluff. And then we're going to talk about the 30 seconds worth yeah. of stuff that you care about. Okay. But so this whole idea, this is great. It's content created, but it's created by whom? And it's these thinkfluencers. So what is the thinkfluencer in the organization? Because you said it's it's somebody internally, correct? It's both externally and internally. Okay, so, so it's both. It's both. So we, we have the philosophy that you should learn from people. Like it's not about the contents, but the people and learning okay. from real human beings. And those could be outside the organization, could be inside the organization. And we have a network of 850 thinkfluencers, as we call them. And thinkfluencers okay. is a term that we've patented <laughs> that we use. And it's an influencer that influences how you think. So if you think okay. of influencers on Instagram, like naked in a bikini on Miami Beach, right? Like influencing how you feel about your body. I don't know what you're in. I don't know who you follow on Instagram, Nelly, but that's not in my Instagram feed. <laughs> <laughs> that's not on your feed. But in your influencing feed, then that's where you might have a senior director, managing directors, like led teams for 10 years and talking about how can you give feedback effectively. And that's fed to you as a first time manager that is struggling with that. So yeah. it's okay. a thinkfluencer that is influencing the way that you think. And we have 850 of these that are external. So that's everyone from the president of Adobe to the um, okay. CMO of EY, CTO of Microsoft, very senior leaders, but also more mid like directors and heads, etc. So people are very specialized in a field. And they could okay. be both leaders, but also subject matter experts. Like we have machine learning scientists from Microsoft, for example, who talk about machine learning. Okay. So okay. very, very specialized in their fields. And they are the ones that create this content. So we, of course, support them. We have the production team. We have this formula. We have the tools, the technology, everything. But they are the ones. It's their knowledge that is being shared. So equally, when you use it inside an organization, that's where you utilize your internal thinkfluencers. Because in every company, you always have these people that people go to informally. Like I know, and and a lot of times they aren't always the people with the big title. It's exactly. not always the people with the big title. Sometimes the actual thinkfluencers are hidden in the organization exactly. and, and it's this tribal knowledge that internally people know like, oh, you're trying to do that. You've got to talk to so-and-so because they're the one, they know how to get it done. They, they've done it. They're, they're amazing at it. And again, if you yeah. don't have that tribal knowledge, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're, you're so just stuck. You can, you can then like crowdsource, like who are these things that people go to? Okay. And then they can share their knowledge within the organization. So I remember like 
the one of the companies I worked with, there was always a top biller that everyone went to. Like he was the number one sales rep, and everyone asked him like, "How does he do that?" And like gathered around his desk in the evenings and things like that. Now, <laughs> him being a thing. But we have these people. Like the thing is, is everybody knows these people in the organization that you just people know that's who you go talk to. Go exactly. talk to this person. And they're also this person that has this mentality of, I'm fine with sharing it. I'll just share freely mm. and I have no problem sharing it. I'm not I'm not afraid to or I'm not trying to hold on to it. They're they're open and willing to say, Hey, I just want to help. Here's here's information, here's stuff that you should know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So so that's well, so, like having those things influences that are sharing the, the knowledge that they know works in the real world. So there is there is no academic theory, there is no coaches, like no stuff like that. It's all people are doing things in the real world and sharing how do they do that successfully. So then I want to talk about this. Well, actually, we're going we're gonna to go in a lot of different directions here. But I think one of the pieces I want to reinforce with this is the emphasis on you're, you're curating and blending internal expertise and external, which uh, uh, there's a Microsoft research project and data form that I that I follow on a regular basis and then one of the things that's been interesting to me this isn't new but we really saw this accelerate as we as we went into the COVID area was people's connectivity within the organization diminished greatly it, it really did because people kind of went into their own their own space and they may have built strong relationships within their team in fact the research shows they built stronger bonds with the people they come in contact with on a regular basis but these incidental connections to other folks in the organization have have dwindled a bit because they just don't know how to access them so it's a real gap in organizations in terms of well how do we get people connecting across company lines mm -hmm. interacting with other things but then there's this other element of you'll see this in organizations and I've seen this over the years where you get so heads down in what we're doing as a company, you fail to take a step back and go, yeah, but we aren't the only one doing this. Someone else is also doing this and we can learn from each other. Why, why not learn from the, the chief of whatever at Microsoft if we're, we're probably facing some similar problems, we don't have all the answers, but that's a bit of a mindset shift. So as you go into this, because I've seen it, I've seen people run into this and go, oh no, we, we don't want to interact with other companies. How do you help break that down? Because to me, that is a key element of success is not just looking at what we're doing. If you do that, yeah, you're measuring yourself against yourself and eventually you're just gonna fall further behind. Yeah, and I think many people have started to come to that mindset shift. Okay. And especially when it comes to all the change that is happening. And this is what okay. I usually tell them as well when they go like, I mean, some companies go like, oh, but we're the best in this. We are the experts. And then I tell them like, yeah, you might be really good in, let's say, banking. But your marketing team might have a lot to learn from the marketeers at a consumer goods company on how they think about consumer insights, how they do their branding, how, do, how they do their campaigns. So yeah. you're probably the best in banking, but you might not be the best in marketing. Like we can't be, every organization doesn't have everything in-house. No, so no. You always have some things that you're really skilled at and something that, that you don't. And that's really what, what we're trying to tap into. And I feel like people have, really got into that mindset shift. And especially when they okay. look at like, a lot of large companies are actually now starting to look at startups. 
So we have a lot okay. of demand for, can we learn from startup leaders? Startups. Or like, like unicorns and scale-ups, right? Because how can they grow so fast and do so well? And we're this like big tanker in the ocean and all these speedboats are just running by. And that's- Right, we've got all this money and all these people and like we can't <laughs> seem to keep up with these little players that are just coming and just taking us by storm. Exactly. So I feel like people have gotten more humble, like over the, just like the okay. past three to four years. Of course, it differs very, very uh, greatly between different organizations. Like some organizations are really up in their own um, and just like. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking. Well, so so let me. Well, because one of the things that's interesting, because we can talk about this, because I do think this humility element is is critical and. That's where your perspective on what you're seeing in the industry is really, you know, valuable for me. But I think anybody listening, because I will say I've seen this trend towards it was a bit of a forced greater recognition that, hey, you need to you need to recognize you don't have all the answers because people were getting crushed when COVID hit. I mean, they had no choice but to go. All right. We got to rethink our business model or we got to think rethink what we're doing, because if we don't we aren't going to be here anymore. So it was almost this, many companies were pushed to a position where they had no choice but to bow because it was like, well, other people are crushing it and you're not. So, I mean, something, the variable is you. But what I was going to say is your point of where some people might even say, well, we're the best at this. And to me, I look at that and even in the conversations I've had with folks, I go, you may be the best in this area right now, but yeah. with the pace of change, with the talent mobility thing that's happening right now and talent moving around, if you're not watching what's going on around you, you may be the best, but you won't stay there for very long. You yeah. will not stay there for very long and others are just gonna leapfrog you, which goes back to the startup idea where these big behemoths went, we're the best, we're the strongest, we can never be taken down. And this little teeny tiny company came out of left field and just knocked the pins right out from underneath them. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the humility aspect, and it's very true to what you're saying, like COVID has really brought that humility aspect. Because a lot of, especially large companies in FMCG and large banks, it's more common in those two industries, you have people that joined as a fresh grad and they're still there 35 years later. Like yeah. that's all the leaders internally. So I've also had a lot of discussions around like their talent acquisition, do they hire from externally, et cetera. And that's what I think people are starting to realize like, okay, retention is great, but it might not be great to have everyone in the top only having ever been at this company. And that's where this external perspective is something that people are starting to get more interested okay. in as well. Well, and it goes back to this idea just in, and I see this in learning and development, and and I think this is a really important factor that applies to what you just said there, which is you can have 20 years of experience that really is one year of experience on repeat 20 times. Like 10 year alone, it's just like education. Just because you went to, just because you went to even Stanford, I let's just say I used to work for a company on the East Coast, and there were a lot of Ivy Leaguers that tried to come to the school, and there were some that it's like, just because you went to Stanford, I mean, you are not, mm. you're not anything special. And I think the same is true with, well, I've been in the industry 20 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, but you might be no more skilled or equipped than somebody with five, yeah. but it's been five years of really aggressive, progressive, pushing themselves versus 20 of, 
I did the same thing and I just keep doing it back over and over. So I think your point is really important on why it's important to keep pushing people further. Yeah, I'm gonna let you in on a little bit of a secret here, a tiger hole secret. Oh, hey, like, yeah, you know what, I love it. <laughs> I, this is not usually something I talk about, but the one of the biggest things that I've actually learned in these past three, four years in working with all of these influencers is that many times the people that look the best on paper, that are the most senior, they actually know the least because exactly to your point, it's been 35 years on repeat. So many times we've been like, oh my God, like we got the global sea level of this massive company, like this content is gonna be amazing. But many, many times we actually end up not even publishing it because it's so bad. Like they literally have nothing actionable to share. So, <laughs> so that's, and of course you find that at all levels, but is especially true with these that have just been 27 years on repeat. They might have been in the same big bag yeah. or different CD Yeah, and it's like an Adam Grant, it's like an Adam Grant coffee cup where you're exactly. like, uh, like oh, I mean, in many different regions, but like actually not a lot of actionable insights to share. And that's right. when we went like, oh my God, like they have actually just done 27 years on repeat. They haven't really reflected and learned new things. So that's not to say like change jobs every year, but I think it's interesting. No, no, but I think this this challenges that assumption that just because someone has, you know, X title or they've done this, they yeah. necessarily are the most skilled or most experienced in the space. That may not be the case. And I think that's the reason why it's not to it's not to knock that folks haven't necessarily made made it, but the fact that it's like, well, but don't just take that as the credential. Just like you can't yeah. take a college degree as, well, this person went to Harvard, so they must be brilliant and super successful. Well, not necessarily. And same with, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that's I think where the value. It could be like there could be influencers at all levels. Like I think that's the the key. Like you can find really good insights, talent, knowledge, skills, expertise at all levels across all different types of groups of people. Yes. Yep, and I think that's the beauty of this whole democratization that technology is bringing is the fact that you can now find those individuals who may not have the, they, they may not have the big public recognition or title or things like that and say, well, we can still curate your expertise. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit because otherwise we'll just keep going down, we'll go down this path. But I think the other piece with this that I'm curious, now you talked about getting these influencers to generate content. And I want to talk about how you're doing that and how you're making that work because anybody in L&D, anybody who's watching or listening, I can I can almost guarantee has tried to get a SME to generate content before. <laughs> and it is it is not, you know, I think sometimes people are like, "Oh, everybody has a camera on their phone. Just have them record a video and you're done." And it's like, uh, yeah, you know, and we even see this at events where you'll, you'll invite somebody who you'd expect just has this wealth of knowledge to share and they get up and you go, what happened? Like what I don't. So how do you help one identify these folks, but then how do you also draw the real think fluential information out of them? Because if you just say, here's a thing, go create content. I have to imagine that's not going to work real well. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not, and that's why we have the entire production team, the research team, the authoring tool team, the data engagement formula team. Like that's why we have people who work with all of these things to optimize for it. Because if you just get someone straight up, like 
this is like talk about this they're not gonna make it right like some people will be great but most people won't so what we've done there is we've used a lot of data a lot of trial and error to get to a formula that many people can use that is very okay. very engaging so you almost okay. have like a recipe for how to create it and then of course we do research on the people we vet everyone before they come into the platform we do like calls with them, et cetera, and onboard them properly. Then once they're on and they've started creating content and gotten the hang of this formula, and we see that they're trending on the platform, then we give them more and more freedom to create more and more content on their own. So that's part, well, and I think that's an important part from a workflow standpoint, because anybody who may be thinking about this, even if, because again, I'm always looking at the applications of, yes, Tiger Hall can do this, but even as a learning professional, how can you start to think about these things and change what you're doing today? Mm. you're involved in that process then and that's one of the pieces that's important because I I could see just handing a platform off to somebody and say go go find your thinkfluencers and have them create content and it not going very well and then them going well see this doesn't really work and it's like well no it's you didn't you didn't do it right so you're involved in that process of helping identify who and let's get them generating content successfully. Is that correct? Yeah, I think people usually have an over trust to technology. And I'm saying this as a <laughs> founder. <laughs> people usually think uh, that I'm gonna bring in this magic tech and everything is gonna be great. And yeah. it's not like the tech itself console, right? So of course tech is- Tech great. is an enabler. It's an exactly. enabler. It's an enabler. Like you can't just bring in the platform. So how we work with that is very much like identifying like we use that through crowdsourcing like identifying who people want to hear from both internally and externally so with all the users on the platform of course we have data on like what's trending what's popular but also what are their challenges who do they want to hear from etc so we okay. work very much like like uber works with its drivers like oh it's now it's surging in fifth avenue please go there that's how we work with contents we say like hey everyone we have a lot of demand for rpa right now like go create RPA content. But that's again okay. with the ones that have already been onboarded, vetted, like they know the formula, etc. So okay. if you think about doing this yourself as an L&D practitioner in an organization, what I would recommend is identifying the ones that are influencers, like the ones that are really influential yeah. in the organization that other people look up to. So we usually start with the CEO. It's a very no-brainer. Start with the CEO, make them use it, and then getting them really trained and up and running in this. And then you start having other people that are hosted by the CEO, for example. So you turn these into okay. hosts, and then they invite others. And then that's how it starts spiraling, right? Okay. Um, so we've done this with like one of our- So there's a little bit of like a psychological thing where it's like you get somebody you oh, already wow. know everybody's looking at and then they kind of bonk other people with the scepter of influence and go, this person's good, you should follow them too. And then, and then they start generating and then I'm guessing it's, it's kind of the multi-level marketing approach where it's like they, they just are trying to like bring more people into the fold. It is a little bit like MLM. Like one of our clients in the company, like we started with exactly that like the CEO and the C-suite. Now they have weekly shows where one from the like global C-suite is inviting people onto the show that they host. And then it's like, you have to make it you have to make people fomo that's another psychology trick like you have to make them like you have to complete this like six months of being a thing before you can even host like being a host is something that is like gold standard right so you make people wanting to become a host and then so yeah it's very much like mlm and fomo psychology <laughs> 
But I mean, these are practical things that learning and development folks, I think we can think about and go, well, how do we, how do we do this? Because if we just no. hand a bunch of people an iPhone and say, go make videos to share with the org, yeah, it's not not only are they not going to be good, they're just not going to do it because you yeah. have to generate that demand to be like, well, well, I want to be a host. I, so yeah. I've got to be good enough. I've got to be good enough. I've got to get in. I've got to, you know, get to this. And, and if I'm not, I'm, I'm missing out. So yeah. I like I think that. L&D I like people that. need to start thinking more like marketeers. That's what I'm missing in all the L&D folks I speak with. They're so focused on the process and the pedagogy and they forget that actually no one wants to do this. Like you have to start with like, how do you get people to want to do I know personal development is like losing weight. Everybody knows they're supposed to do it, but nobody really wants to. Nobody's like, you know what I really want to do is eat healthy and exercise. Like yeah. that, and the percentage of people that are that way is so small. It is, it is. And I think L&D teams should spend 50% of their time marketing the idea of professional development. Like that's where 50% of their time should go. And then they can spend 50% on execution, but much more time on marketing, mindset shift. Why is this important? Why do they want people to do it? Because now in many organizations, I see L&D shows up like, oh, this is what we're going to do. And people are still like question marks. Like why? Why should I spend my time on this? No, you know, it's interesting you, you say that because in the organizations I've worked in and partnered with on a lot of things, that context piece is is missing. And I think your point about the marketeers, you know, there, there was an industry trend in L&D to say, oh, we need to be more like marketing. But I think your point hits on where we sometimes miss the forest through the trees where we go, yes, that's right. Let's be more marketing. So let's tell everybody about the stuff we have. And, well, and that's, that's it's like, that's no, because the reason they're not engaging with the stuff that you have isn't because they don't know about it. It's because they don't, yeah. even if they knew about it, they'd go, eh, I don't, you know, I don't see the value. It's, a, it's about really, and I think that's the marketing piece, tapping into yeah. that behavior of, I, I want it. I want yeah. it and I'm willing to prioritize this over other things. And they don't do that by... You don't do that by going like, this is the coolest thing you've ever seen. Like, mm. yeah. There's a difference okay. between features and benefits, right? Like they're fo still focusing like, oh, we have this, all these features instead of focusing on the benefits. Well, and the thing is, we're not selling sham wows. We're not selling sham wows and, and scrubbies where you can make an impulse decision and you just go, oh, I did it. And like, ah, I didn't necessarily get back because learning and developments it's hard work it's effort yeah. it's something you've got to invest in and so the kind of quick used car salesman like if i can just get you off the lot then i'm good because you can't return it that's not what goes into building a learning culture and that's a different marketing approach i mean this isn't we're not yeah. qvc you know where we're trying to tag you at late night and get you to make an impulse buy it's like no we're trying to get you to change a behavior in yourself and that takes a different kind of marketing. Yeah, exactly. And another tiger hole secret, I'm letting out a lot of secrets in this session. <laughs> so we have That's really, really high engagement on the platform, right? Like people are spending 43 minutes on average per user per week on the platform. Okay. So every week people are talking 43 minutes and to the point on marketing, a big part of that is the engagement that we drive through, like push notifications, emails, like personalized marketing, etc. And to the point on features versus benefits, we never speak about podcasts, live streams, influencers, all of those things we never chat about. But we speak about coming back to the FOMO, the best people in your industry do this. The best yes. CEOs do X. 
And that makes people, it's not like, oh, this is why you should spend time on professional development, but it's rather everyone has goals. Everyone wants to be successful, right? So it's about painting that picture of, okay, you want to be successful. This is what successful people do. And that's professional development. That's yep. how I think L&D people need to think as well. And not just okay. like, you should spend time or you should do this, etc. Okay. Well, it's, it's, it's a really, and like I said, the point, the point of the conversation is one, to illustrate how you're doing that through the tech, but also to give people some takeaways. Because the reality is, you know, and I've seen this before, where if we as learning leaders and even business leaders, if we don't make this mindset shift, then to your point of misunderstanding the tech and thinking the tech will fix it, that's when you make that mistake because you don't understand what you really need to do to make it a success. And so instead you go, oh, well, once we have an LXP or a social learning platform, then this will happen. And you go, well, no, no you've got to create these behaviors. You've got to have this mindset going into it. And then this technology can unlock and scale the capability in ways you couldn't do before. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, so on that topic, though, because this is, you know, this is a growing trend and for good reasons, you know, with organizations that are, are thinking about this are going, all right, I, I get it. I, maybe conceptually, I get it. What are some of the steps that people need to make to, to kind of start down this path of saying, you know what, how do we actually make social learning? What's that journey look like? Because I have no doubt you work with organizations who they might just be doing the status quo today. They're doing yeah. what a lot of people think of. They've got some workshops, they've got an LMS, they may have a big content provider. It's not necessarily getting the value, the pragmatism of how do you get better at the things that matter? Yeah. Where do people start on that journey? So I think the number one step is this mindset from focus on content to focus on humans. And okay. I think we have a slide on like 1.0, 2.0, that might be helpful to understand this shift a little as well. Because what I see happening is a lot of learning leaders are so focused on the content. And you can't yes. make social learning with content. Like social means human. Like that's the very definition of social. <laughs> you can't be social with an article. Like you can't be social with a video. Like you can yeah. only be social with other human beings. So what we, I call this the 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. And you're probably familiar with this, the 1.0, like the e-learning clicking through slides. You go next, 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 as quickly as possible to get through it. Usually used for compliance or sometimes very sadly onboarding, like giving people yeah. the first impression of the company's onboarding. Then you have the 2.0, which is more focused on video learning. That's where you have, everyone can take a course from the University of South Carolina, how great. And you have 50,000 yep. videos and people can log in and access them. And if you then look at social learning, the biggest difference here and the first step to take is really focus on humans. So instead of focusing on like institutions or the content or like where we're learning from the content, focus on who are the people? Who are the people okay. that we want to learn from? And that's again, both externally and internally, right? And within your own organization, think about who are those influencers internally that you want to learn from? And then make yeah. it interactive. Like you can't have a video learning platform that is social. Like, yes, they'll be like, oh, you can comment on this video, but that's not social, that's commenting. <laughs> like yeah. social yeah. means hanging out with others, interacting with others, having dialogue, doing Q&A, doing discussions together, reflecting together, like all of those things, and also learning from other people's experiences. So both in the sense of like, 
okay, Christopher, you've had this experience, like what can I learn from that? But also if you and I are going through a learning experience together, what can I learn from the experience you're having going through that learning experience together with me? So okay. it's learning from human experience. So I think a big part of it is that mindset shift from thinking about, okay, how many content libraries do we have and how many content pieces is that? to focusing on what are the human experiences that other humans can learn from. That's the very number one. Okay, okay. Well, and I think what I what I really like about what you said with that is again, this, this kind of progressive journey. And one of the things I would call out with this that I think you would agree with this is that, that can be this can be interpreted as content doesn't matter. And to me, it's like, no, that's not what we're saying. Be very careful because it's not that content doesn't matter and that, oh, you can just like throw together whatever. And as long as it's human, like, mm, no, yeah, not at all. <laughs> it's not that it's a it's a both and not an either or situation. Is that is that reasonable? Is that a reasonable clarification? Yeah, I think that's a very, very good call out. And I think like content is one of the most underestimated things in learning. Like it's yeah. really, really under. People tend to think that, oh, I can bring on this platform, then I just fill it with a bunch of content from all these different providers and it's gonna be great. And they don't think about the user experience and the level of that content personalization, etc. So I think the quality of content is really, really key. And you still have on most video platforms, you have usually an old white man who comes in and go like, hi, today we're gonna talk about leadership development. And they've never led a team. Like that's the most common way. <laughs> so that's like our most common, and that is not what people engage with. Like that's like thinking people go to Netflix because it's a nice to use website. No, people come to Netflix because of the series that they want to watch because those are engaging. So the power yeah. of content should not be underestimated. But the difference in thinking between okay, I have fifty thousand videos, our learning is great versus thinking I have 100 people internally that actually have real experience that others could learn from. How do I maximize those? And it's also a little bit this shift from quantity to quality. I feel that many learning leaders are still focused on number of features, number of content. Yeah, number, number of features, of number of this. Yeah, and like yep. more yep. features, more content is not going to create a good learning experience. So the well, and to some degree, even I just I'm going to pause there because I even think, you know, and this is a shift marketing's had to make because it's not even necessarily number of engagements. You know, yeah. I, I think back to marketing for a bit where it was like, well, if we get this many leads and it's like, right, but quality of leads, what's the yeah. quality of that interaction? I mean, there's more depth to it than just how many hits did this video get? Oh, it must be great. Yeah. Well, maybe, or maybe it was a joke that got sent around and everybody just went, did you see right, your example, <laughs> the old white guy sitting here talking about leadership. Did you know he doesn't even have a team? Like, check this out. I mean, there's yeah. virality doesn't necessarily mean value. And I think that's, that's one of the components, you know, that's, that's really important with this is that there's a lot more to it. And I think, you know, you tell me, you tell me your perspective on this, but people are extremely complicated to me that's one of the fascinating reasons i went into people and tech was tech was it was almost too predictable you, you could almost predict what was going to happen and how it was going to work and you can code in and know exactly what's going to happen people you don't you kind of go i don't know like the same message delivered to nelly delivered to boss 
it, it's going to have a radically different impact in terms of what they walk away with and how we do that. And to me, that can be challenging, but it's also fascinating. And I have to imagine as you're dealing in this space, you've got to see a lot of this where you can't just take everything at face value. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, 100%. 100% agree with what you said. Okay. Okay. So, so let's talk a little bit and just kind of tactically because you you're spending a lot more time in the states you know as we look at this and folks who may be going all right this so this whole concept of of how to bring this to life is interesting you know, you've been in the space now doing this for some time now working with organizations looking at really kind of making greater awareness which is why we ended up connecting because i said honestly us wise i don't really know of anyone specifically playing in the space you're in you know what's what's that journey look like right now yeah, so we uh, we started out in uh, in Asia and uh, then grew globally to work with a lot of global companies. And incidentally, a lot of our clients are American multinationals um, that have used yeah. us outside of the U.S. And that's how we started looking at the U.S. as a market because those clients were peaking outside on Europe and Asia, and they were like, "This looks really interesting. Like, can we bring this to to the U.S. as well? Can we launch it here?" And that's how we started getting users, clients in the US market. And uh, we okay. decided to, to launch uh, properly around six months ago um, and started working with, with clients here as well. So I'm here to, to, um, to meet all the clients that we have and to get to know the market better and so on as well. Um, the CLO okay. exchange is an example of that and just yeah, meeting with people so, and uh, driving that, that growth as we scale in the US. Okay. So the CLO exchange isn't going to be the only time people are going to be able to see you here stateside and see and learn more about what you're doing. Well, you know, and the, and the last thing, because again, there's like five other things I want to get into on Tiger Hall, but we're at, we're at 57 minutes, so it's not going to happen. But one of the things that I think is interesting about this on the market standpoint is, you know, having watched global trends, I mean, I spend so much time talking about learning tech and talking with different tech companies from all over the world and, and what we're doing is sometimes the US can have a tendency to be like the big global multinational company we talked about before when it comes to learning and development trends where you know we can we can be measuring ourselves against ourselves and go yeah, we got it all figured out or you know we we are doing amazing over here and in the time I spend globally there's a lot of opportunity for us here in the States. There's a lot of opportunity for us here in the States to think differently. And again, this can be perceived as a threat because, you know, oh, well, what are you saying we go away from everything we've done? No. In fact, one of the most successful social learning initiatives I led, we had people talking about what they were doing with their LinkedIn learning content. We, we, we combined the two. We said, who's really using this? And let's have them talk about the insights and then share how they're taking that and actually doing things. With so we were actually able to pair the two. So I think it's this both and situation. But I would say, you know, here in the States, to me, I continue to see opportunity for us to break the idea that, you know, the, the American mentality of we're the best at everything. We already have it all figured out. And it's like, no, we don't. No, we don't. And actually some of our... <laughs> outside the US counterparts are, are steamrolling us in certain yeah. areas. Yeah, so. and I would say especially in mobile, because the US is ahead in so many areas, obviously. But one thing that 
is a little bit less here compared to like Asia is very mobile first, right? Like it's everything is done on your phone. Like the everything average is mobile. Filipino, for example, I think they spend six to seven hours per day on their smartphone versus in the US and Europe, that is like two to three hours. So in Asia, people spend twice as much time on their phones. Um, and that's something that is increasing in the US and Europe as well. But it's something I think is, it is. interesting to look at from the outside too. No, I think that's a really good call out. And even Boss made a comment that, you know, there are real challenges in the U.S. that we have to face that with U.S. companies that are now globalizing and even examples like that of do you understand the behavior outside of the U.S. and how different it is than the behaviors yeah. here? Because you have to think differently. And that mobile trend, I can tell you right now, there are so many times that in our industry, if you're U.S. based, there is an assumption that someone's sitting at a desk. They're sitting yeah. at a desk looking at a computer. And the reality is that's just not true. That's and it's not. not true even in the US, but we assume it because it's more likely, but that's not the case outside. And it's growing in the US where that assumption is quickly crumbling. Yeah. So, exactly. And another anyway, thing for, okay. for learning for leaders that, that have a global perspective. If you look at enterprise learning today, if we come back to content, you actually have 83% of global learning content that is delivered, designed, and produced by a white American man above 45 years of age. And I think that's really worth thinking about from a diversity point of view, both when it comes to role yeah. models, but also from the content. And one of the one of the things that people really like about Tigal, for example, when we have all of this global content from across the world is that they can learn how to do things in Philippines, in Indonesia, in France, and in the US, like depending on where you are. Yeah. Um, so that's worth thinking about if you have a global mandate, how are you tailoring to diversity, different regions, both from like a role model and a content perspective? No, and I think, and I'll close on this, you know, having led several big global organizations, I can tell you that a lot of times when you talk to folks outside the States, if you're a US based company, a lot of times the feedback is, well, a lot of what comes out just feels like it was designed for the States and just kind of handed, and it just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really click. And this is a huge opportunity like you called out. So with that, I knew we were gonna go over, but this was phenomenal, Nelly. I so appreciate you making the time today. Hopefully everybody who watches and listens to this either now or watches afterwards, lot to think about as we think about the mindset, the activities, the way we just think about human development. And, and I love your point. People don't like to do it. The majority don't like to do it. So what are we doing to make it something that they do like to do? So with that, thank you so much. I have a great trip to Orlando at the CLO Exchange and a great holiday break. And uh, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Christopher. This was so much fun. I appreciate you having All me. Right.